The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 4. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, sleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Wayne and Lisa. It has been uh, sweet in the midst of uh, all the online uh, things we've had to do to have people participating from home and even engaging in the moment uh, with uh, our scripture reading and, and worship. And it's so fun to have that uh, and to be able to do things like that. We never even thought before uh, the Lord has brought some blessings through this. Well, um, I remember uh, when I graduated from college, uh, two of my closest friends uh, from both high school and college, we went backpacking across Europe, and we decided to uh, go to a number of countries, one of which was Switzerland, and uh, it's a beautiful country, uh, and we're able to do some just fun, like, you know, activities there, Uh, one of which was called canyoning. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before or done it. Uh, it is a little bit of what it sounds like, but it, it, you actually put on a full wetsuit, a helmet, and you rappel off uh, rock faces and go down and jump off of cliffs into like three foot pools and slide down river, you know, like gorge kind of things with your arms to the side. And, and, and it's fascinating. I remember them saying, okay, here, and you're seeing the person down below with the water barely coming up over their knees and saying, you're going to jump from this 20-foot rock cliff into this pool. And think, like, what? <laughs> and there's a certain technique that you can use where you land and you land, it cushions your entire jump. It's crazy. And there was another time where they made us go down a chute. You couldn't see, it was all water. And all the rocks were surrounding. It was almost like a tunnel. And they said, you better hold your breath as long as you can because you're going to be going through this and you don't know when you're going to pop up. And (laughs) just hearing that alone struck fear into me and everyone, but it turned out to be a lot better than uh, we thought. But I think what was really fascinating about the whole experience was you're put in a position to allow all the things that you kind of maybe pass by, maybe on a hike that you notice, or uh, maybe in some other way that you see in pictures or you go visit. We were put in a position to feel it, to experience, to make our bodies um, and our, our, the way we work to, to actually feel the power 
of those elements, to feel what it was like to be way up high and, 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 and to go through this tunnel and to feel the power of the water, the extreme cold, because the wetsuit is full wetsuit because these are glacial waters that are freezing temperatures. And yet to do all that and to have these people guide you and try and manage, what they're really doing isn't just managing you to help you get through the uh, canyoning, they're actually also managing your fear. They're helping us figure out how do we make sense of all these elements that now we're supposed to be engaging in of, cre- of creation that really have far more power than we really realize. That once you step into them, you recognize that this, you can't just kind of jump into this and do it. You need instruction. You need to know there's a lot to this because there's a lot more power behind it. You know, I, I think when we talk about uh, <clears throat> following Jesus, what it means. It, one of the th- key things about that is what we fear, what our fears are. And I think for the most part, we approach things that we think are manageable, or maybe we have the right guide, or maybe we hear things and we, circumstances. But, but really, the, the, what we're approaching and what fear tells us is what do we really look to for security? What do we really hide ourselves? Where do we go for safety? Even if you're maybe not a follower of Jesus, fear strikes something in us. When we are afraid, when we're fearful of something, there's been a lot to fear lately. A lot of things that have brought up fears, even uh, be it pandemic and plenty of other things. But when it strikes us, even if we would say we don't know if we've really followed Jesus or not, what we fear not is always connected to our faith. Now, maybe you wouldn't put it in faith context of, 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 of religious or Jesus faith, but it's always connected to faith because we're always, what our fear does is that once we overturn those rocks, we see underneath of what we really trust. And when we brush up against things that are way more manageable than we think, be it glacial waters, <laughs> but things like that in our life, we, is our default to see what we can manage, to see what we can control, the circumstance, or maybe to avoid to control something else? Or is it to really know what does it mean to meet our fears with the true faith? Mark gives us details in this passage that are really interesting. It tells you more that this passage isn't just some story. It is an actual account. There are details like uh, that they took him in the boat with them just as he was, verse 36. And other boats were with him. Just these kind of strange little detail pockets here and there. Because what Mark was about, Mark actually followed Peter to get his account of Jesus's life. The whole book of Mark in the New Testament is to say, who is this Jesus? And in this particular passage, it's how is he connected to our fears? What does Jesus, what does Christianity have to do with our fear? Because a lot of times I would think, and even as many Christians would say, is fear antithetical to our faith? Is that what this passage is saying? You just need more faith and then you won't be afraid. No, no, no. Your fear actually drives you to faith. Your fear actually, and even healthy fear, helps you make sense of what you have faith in. We're going to look at that. 
in this passage. We're going to look at two things because what you read here is they don't just experience something as pro-fishermen who went out on a daily catch, were used to certain things, and maybe the storm was more uh, unmanageable than most. But what they experience isn't necessarily the storm, but what's in the boat with them. Because it really defines what fear is and truly defines what their faith is. So we're going to look at those two things, the fear and faith, those two simple things. You know, the uh, Sea of Galilee, as it describes here and where this is taking place, was nearly 700 feet below sea level. So you can kind of see it almost in a bowl-like thing. And it combined mountainous regions around it. So storms like this would, would come up quickly because things would go down into that bowl and stir it up. And these are pro-fishermen. Uh, just as a remembering that their, their actual you know, profession was to be out on that water. They'd been in those waters before. They'd been doing it all their life. Maybe they did it before um, they were even having their own business, so to speak. But this wasn't unusual. What, what was unusual is the, the, the storm seemed a little more unmanageable than normal. And even for them as Jewish fishermen, their past would, would show them something. For most Jews, what they saw the sea as, water, large bodies of water, is it reminded them of the beginning, an unmanageable chaos that happened at the beginning only of the Bible that showed only God could control it. So in their mind, knowing that the sea isn't where they're meant to be and God is the one over it, it would draw them up a lot. And to think that Peter was recounting this event to Mark as he's pinning this gospel. You can see even probably Peter drawing up things, trying to, to try on again. What is that experience? What was that experience like? Not just going out for a daily catch, but really experiencing what it was like to experience fear, to be out of control. See, fear isn't all sinful, uh, and let's just go there first. To, to, to think about what you fear also says what you run to to protect you, right? I remember when I was a little kid, uh, in order for me to have a, a healthy fear of um, crossing the street, my mom took me to a squirrel who had been, that had been run over uh, by some car, pointed at the squirrel and said, if you go into the street, this is going to happen to you. <laughs> Well, it definitely gave me an illustration and it gave me a healthy fear of, okay, I can't just run in the street and expect that I'm going to be okay. I have to have a healthy idea of that. There is a healthy fear. It drives, drives us to what's safe, what's secure, where we are, right? But it also drives to a control. So what I think is, is really interesting, and this is one of those passages that I've preached on, studied, read, but I love that every time I do, God continues to uh, press on me things that I may have even missed or need to hear again in a deeper way. It says the storm, uh, verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so the boat was already filling. And you can just see it. They're just, they're just, they're just managing the storm. The, the, the every part of them that's adequate as fishermen, adequate as seamen who own this boat, and yet they feel out of control and helpless. So much so they're like, "Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing?" They, they don't know what's going to happen next. So they're saying, "Are you? Do you care that we're perishing?" Because they think he's going to calm the storm. They, they're asking him that because they're like, "Hey, 
you can help us navigate this. You can help us manage this. Help us. But there's nothing like fear that strikes the deepest parts of us when we feel inadequate and out of control. When you feel like there are moments, and even in the midst of what I've felt, even, and I'll be very honest with you, my friends, this last month being online only has been so hard on me. (laughs) And I know it's been hard on you. For us to be separated, I felt so dislocated, so helpless, so uh, it, it has struck deep parts of me where I've just thought, oh. and, and yet I go, well, how do I hold it together? What do I need to manage when I feel this anxiety or this fear? What are the things? And I immediately go to that direction. And then I recognize there's a lot of things I can't manage. I can't manage a lot, very little. But that's where it pushes us. It, it, it drives us to say, How do I control things? Or how do I give my control to someone else that can help me manage my own fears? Maybe it be a politician, maybe a boss, maybe a child, maybe a friend, maybe a parent. All the while we're looking for how can we control the deep fear, anxiety of us being inadequate and out of control. There's nothing worse than thinking that you can manage it. Even in these fishermen, in the midst of where they are at most at home, are most out of their depth. And that just is unnerving. I remember I've been watching this show, I've really enjoyed it, um, called Peyton's Places. Maybe Peyton Manning. Uh, after he retired, he started doing kind of a, a tour around the country, just interviewing and talking to people about football. And he interviewed Jerry Rice. Um, he was talking about wide receivers and Jerry Rice being the greatest wide receiver of all time. Uh, it shows him running. And, and there was this constant theme when he was interviewing Jerry Rice that he was not uh, seen as somebody who'd be a great wide receiver at all. His 40 time wasn't very fast. They kept saying he wasn't fast. Is he really that great receiver? Is he really that good? And every time he caught the ball, he ran. I mean, you just saw he would outrun people. Well, he has been inducted in the Hall of Fame. Is is incredible. Still records yet to be broken. But what was fascinating to me was his Hall of Fame speech where he said this. He said, my single regret about my career is that I never took the time to enjoy it. I was always working. I was afraid to fail. The fear of failure is the engine that has driven me my entire life. The reason they've never caught me from behind is because I ran scared. People always are surprised how insecure I was. The doubts, the struggles is who I am. I love that Jerry Rice so honestly doesn't say, it's, it's something I dealt with or something I mean. He says, it is who I am because our fears really are who we are. We don't measure up and yet we live in a constant fear of trying to manage and control so that everybody, be it our profile, be it our friendships, be it our families, be it ourselves in the mirror, want to feel like we measure up. Isn't that why we move to different positions or we look to something else or move away from the places when we don't have control or power to the places where we do? Places where we maybe find ourselves. 
You know, what's your default? What's your, you know, as many of you who are Enneagram folks, what would you go to? What is your unhealthy number, right? When you feel that intense fear, where do you go to look to that provides that sense of control and adequacy? Because even if we try to arrange things right, maybe it's a fear of your circumstances just as it was for them. The desire to arrange things just right so that I find comfort, so that I find safety, so that I am valuable. Dan Allender, who, um, I love Dan Allender's stuff, and they wrote a book called Cry of the Soul, and he defines fear this way. Fear is our response to uncertainty about our resources in the face of danger when we are assaulted by a force that overwhelms us and compels us to face that we are helpless and out of control. Fear is provoked when the threat of danger, physical or relational, exposes our inability to preserve what we most deeply cherish. See, we are masters of manipulating and managing our control and really managing our fear. Managing the fear that we will be found out, that we really are not this, not that. See, it's an inability to preserve what we most deeply cherish. What do we deeply cherish? We want to know that we are valuable, that we are worth keeping. You know, they asked Jesus in this boat, don't you care that we're perishing? Because they, they really are wondering, don't you care? You're the one leading us. Don't you even care? Isn't that the question? Don't you care? Aren't we that valuable to you? Don't you really love us? And don't you really love this? Don't you care enough to lean into what's going on? Some time ago, Netflix, uh, there was an article written on Netflix and the culture even of fear and uh, working in Netflix. And what I thought was interesting about this article is how it felt when they have what's called a keeper test asking themselves whether they would fight to keep their given employee and firing those whom the answer is no. And at one point, there's uh, one former uh, Netflixer said they saw uh, a fired colleague crying as they packed their boxes and other employees looked away fearing that helping her would put a target on their own back. Isn't that a great example? It's not just Netflix. It's how we always feel. Are we valuable enough to be kept? God, do you care enough? Do you care enough that we're going through all that we're going through? Because the fear of our control controls us. Ultimate fears is what really is happening, right? The ultimate fears of, am I loved enough for God to step in and keep me? Because what fear does is it really does distort our relationship both to God and to everyone else. Because once we feel that fear, we're, we want to step in. We want to give our control or take control in a way that it can distort the reality of what it really means to be, have a relationship where we're really known. And instead, the fear can define our relationship. Did I say everything okay? Did I post something okay? Did I like the right thing okay? Did I finish these projects correctly? We live in a state of fear, just as Jerry Rice put beautifully. It is us. It is an engine. And it goes to the depths of the core of, is God really care enough about us because we're perishing? Does he really care enough about what we're going through? Even to the ultimate fears of death, loneliness, dislocation. 
Does he really care that much that he, that even the ultimate fears that we have, not just the the day-to-day fears that build up, but the ultimate fears, does he care? And Jesus answers them this way. He was asleep in the cushion, which is amazing in and of itself. But he wakes up and he says this in verse 39. He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Faith. Jesus makes the connection from fear to faith. Now you read that easily and say, okay, faith. We know we're afraid. We know fear is deeply embedded in us. But Christianity and faith is all about trying to have the absence of fear. No, no, actually what Jesus is saying in another translation isn't, have you still no faith? Do you not have it at all? He's, actually, the translation is, where is your faith? It's a direction. It's a focus. Jesus is saying there's a link between fear and faith. Where your focus is. We've said this before. I've mentioned this in a a number of ways. That faith can be often misunderstood as something that's both either a qualitative or quantitative thing. A qualitative that you have enough purity in your faith that that it, it makes things peaceful or works. Or a quantitative that you have enough of it. But Jesus is not saying that. The Bible doesn't say that's what faith is. Even when it's spoken into an amount, it's about, about the amount of focus. See, faith is a focus. Where is your faith? What is the object? What is it? Here's another translation, as we even said. What is the thing that when you really hit your fears that you focus on? Where does your focus go? To what does your focus, your attention really go to that can bring you the greatest allegiance and safety and protection? And this is what Jesus is doing. No matter what, here's what's fascinating. The Bible actually from cover to cover talks about fear immensely. And it always goes back to fearing God first, especially the wisdom books say to understand wisdom, to live life correctly, you have to fear first, fear God What is it saying? It's saying you have to fear first the thing that makes most sense of every other fear if you focus on that. See, here's the point of what's interesting in this story is Jesus is actually scarier than all of our other fears. Jesus is scarier all of all those fears that you have about am I liked? Will my kids go to the right school? Will I live in the right neighborhood? Will I have enough income? Will I have a a, a husband? Will I have children? Will I have this or that? Will those questions of will, those are scary. Those are immense. And Jesus is putting himself in this so much. He says, peace be still and the wind ceased. It obeyed him. And it is to say that the fear they had of perishing turned quickly to a double greater fear of who was in the boat with them. In fact, the language moves from afraid to, in verse 41, and they were filled with great fear. That the one in the boat with them is more fearsome, more unmanageable, more scary than any storm they could face. When I, um, I remember going on a trip with my parents when I was younger, and they took me, I think we went to Mexico and it was a fun trip. I was able to do this, um, and some of you may have had this experience, swim with dolphins. That was a fascinating thing. 
Uh, it's kind of funny as you think. And, uh, you, you know, I got in the water with them, with me and a group of people. And you, you, you realize how powerful they are and how sweet and fun. And, 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 you know, they put their noses on my feet and push me through the water. And, and, you know, you grab onto their fins and they pull you around. And at the end of our time of doing all those fun tricks, they say, hey, just play, have free time with the dolphins in the water, like play tag or whatever. Well, I remember, you know, they give us goggles, they have masks and I'm underwater and I remember I'm about to touch one and it swims away and I turn around and there is a dolphin in my face silently turn around this massive you know creature sitting there looking at me and I remember getting out of the water after that time and thinking I am there in some sense relating to this other creature but I was never more aware of my own consciousness my creaturely consciousness that I was out of my element in an aquatic setting where I don't swim underwater (laughs) I can't move through like they can and they are in far more control than I am and there was something about that moment that gave me the greatest creaturely consciousness of thinking they are in complete control and yet this is just another creature like me imagine being in the boat thinking they're with someone who may be another creature like them. And all of a sudden they recognize that the voice of the one who spoke in Genesis to calm the waters that were chaotic is a voice that's in the boat with them now saying, be still, and the actual storm stops. And they're face to face, not with another creature of power. Jesus isn't calling on authority. His actual words are saying he is the authority. They're in the boat with the creator, not just another creature. And they are afraid. In fact, the language calm the storm here, when it says, peace be still, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Calming the storm is, the calming of the storm is a language of an animal getting a muzzle being put on it. And in the Greek, it says not just having a muzzle on it, but keeping it on. In fact, the word calm means the muzzle was put on so much that the storm itself grew weary from the strength of Jesus' words. This storm met its alpha, and it stopped. No wonder they were afraid. No wonder they were afraid. The point is that Jesus is saying, I am not manageable, even like this storm is. Whatever control your fears drive you to, there is nothing about Jesus that can be controlled. He is one who is more powerful. He is one who is not managed as much as we want to. We want Jesus. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you jump in on our situation, our circumstances? Won't you do what I need you to do when I need you to do it? And yet he is not the one to be managed like that. He's not like any other creation. He is the creator. And it means that he is far scarier than any storm we can recognize or see. Any storm that, any power that we come against or try on or brush up against that we find, he is far scarier, far more authoritative. And yet here's the the beauty of it. Different than what we think of any of the storms 
he is far more merciful. He is not manageable and he is far scarier, but he is far safer than any storm we will ever try and manage. See, that's what we want to do. The depth of our fear wants to manage the storm so we can feel safe. But what Jesus is saying, and oftentimes what we want him to do is speak and stop the storm. But what he's actually doing in this passage isn't so much stopping the storm and saying minimizing the storm. And sometimes he does that in our life. But what he's actually doing is maximizing himself. The focus, the faith of the disciples is being taken off of what they can manage off the storm and all of its power and rage onto the one who is actually not only scarier, but more merciful, more safe. See, Jesus is more safe than all their fears because he's not minimized. He's maximizing, showing his power. And we look to the storms to be merciful. We think if we can control this, if we can get into our circumstances, if we can get into whatever that place, that, that, that lane is, stay in your lane and feel like you have control and minimize our fear, then we feel like we're really, we're, what are we doing? We're looking to the storm and to provide us and our way of controlling it to provide us mercy, but it, it's only to the degree that we can control it. Jesus is saying, I'm unmanageable, but I'm far more merciful than you looking to the storm itself. Why does he say, where is your faith? Why do you look to the storm? Why do you look to the buckets? Why do you look to the boat? Why are you looking to each other? Look at the one who can speak to the storm and it recognizes its voice because the storm itself, creation itself, finds peace to its alpha. I love how the Jesus Storybook Bible says this passage. It says they were in the boat and it says the strangest thing happened when Jesus spoke. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. They'd heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the beginning. It recognized Jesus' voice. Now, if the storm itself recognizes Jesus' voice, don't you know that everything that in your life, all the storms, both relationally, physically, internally, externally, that you and I fear, can have his voice speak into it as well. If the storm itself that is unmanageable, it seems like something that we are so helpless, just like anything else in our life, Jesus' voice is recognized in all of the parts of us. Think about the things that you fear in your life that you believe are so much bigger. There is no way that Jesus could speak into this and forgive me about this. There's no way that his voice could be powerful enough to cause forgiveness to be real in this place or in this pattern I continue to see or in my past that riddles me with guilt every time I reach back to it. See, what Jesus is saying here is your heart recognizes his voice. The storm recognizes its alpha. It recognizes the one who is far more merciful to you in those places that can speak into them. And he may not minimize sometimes the way that those feel. But what he does is he maximizes himself. 
See, he's far better to be under, to submit ourselves to, to give control over, to, to walk with than the storm itself. Where is your faith is to say, look to Jesus, the one. This is why Peter in his letters in 1 Peter 4.12 says, don't be surprised when trials come upon you. Peter's recounting this. He's saying, Jesus himself took them into this storm. He's the one that said, let's go. He's the one in verse 35, let's go across to the other side. He knew something was gonna happen. And yet he wants them to know, I am with you and far more merciful and unmanageable than anything you'll ever see. Now let's return to the question the disciples asked. It's a great question. Don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus would answer that, not just by calming the storm, but how does he really answer it? Jesus answered that question by putting himself at the heart of the most terrible, ravaging storm of human history on the cross. Jesus says, I care beyond what you even understand. How does he care? Because he would put himself in the greatest position of fear and separation, even of ultimate fears of death and loneliness than we would ever understand so that we might have faith in him. Jesus puts himself in the storm and lets himself be destroyed, encountering it all so that we would be with him. Praise be to God that he doesn't even leave that question unanswered. He answers it for them so they would live in him. Let me pray for us.